to welcome you this morning. My name is Adam Young. I'm the lead pastor here at Element Church, and I want to welcome you to our final week in our series titled Hall of Faith. Now, if you've been with us, you already know that we've been taking a journey through Hebrews chapter 11 and looking at some of the individuals and their stories that are mentioned there. Hebrews chapter 11 has often been called the Hall of Faith or sort of the Hall of Fame of Faith because there's so many great stories of people who exemplified not necessarily great works but great faith that opened the door for God to move in mighty ways. Now, in Hebrews chapter 11, there are 16 people explicitly mentioned by name. In, in this series, this is just a six-week series, so there's no way we have time to cover every person and every story, but we've done just a survey of some of the key individuals, some of the key stories uh, that, that speak to us about what faith is, what faith is not, um, why we need faith, and how to grow our faith. And that's what we've done over the last five weeks. And today, we're going to wrap up our time in Hebrews chapter 11. We're going to wrap up our time in this series and kind of put a nice bow on it and really talk about why we did this series in the first place. And so as we get started, I want to invite you to turn your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 11. So if you brought one, that's great. You can use uh, that Bible. You can use one that we provide in the seats or pull out your phone, open up the Bible app, and uh, you can find it there. And while you're turning, you know, we've all been told uh, that faith is important. We've probably been told by people that we need to have more faith or just have faith. But the reality is I think a lot of us wrestle with what faith is and why it matters and what it's supposed to mean and what it's supposed to do in our lives. And we're going to continue our discussion today on all of those topics uh, as we continue to look at Hebrews chapter 11. So where we're going to start is in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 32. And then we're going to read through the end of the chapter, and, and this will help us to close out the chapter together. And so uh, it's on the screen for you if you haven't turned there yourself yet. And it says this, and what more shall I say? So this is sort of the author's way of wrapping up the chapter and going, how in the world could I cover any more stories uh, in the space that I have left? What more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon. That was who we talked about last week if you were here. Uh, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Now this is where we stopped last week and we're going to continue on and close out the chapter uh, from here, women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were killed with the sword, they went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us they should not be made perfect. So we talked about this just about every week that we've done this series, that there are 16 people mentioned by name in this chapter 
who are set up as examples for our faith, something that we can look up to as, as we try to grow our faith, but there are many, many more by association. And, and sort of as the author of Hebrews chapter 11 sort of wraps up this whole idea, he, he kind of wraps it up with giving all these examples without giving names, but just like how many countless stories are there of people who um, God did amazing and incredible things in and through their faith, in the individuals themselves and through them to reach a, a world around them. Now, there's something interesting in here when we talk about what faith does and how God works through faith. I'm going to guess by the fact that you're sitting in here this morning means that you have some level of interest of God using your faith for something important. That you would like for God uh, to use your faith to make a difference in your life or those that you care about or people who live around you. And, and I want you to notice just for a second um, some of the ways in which God uses and works through faith. We're going to go back to verses 32 through 34, which we've already read today. We read them last week as well. And I want you to notice two things, that through faith, sometimes God works supernatural miracles. Sometimes through faith, God works supernatural miracles. There are some of those instances mentioned here, where God just steps in and does what no human could have the ability to do. That through someone's faith, it opens the door for God to step in and work a supernatural miracle, something that can't be explained by just normal, regular, everyday means. But I also want you to notice something else. Sometimes, while God may work through faith and do a supernatural miracle, sometimes God works in, through providence in just natural activities. This is what we talked about the last couple of weeks. We talked about Gideon and, and how through his faith, God used him and an army, albeit a very small army like we talked about last week, but through natural means of an army fighting a battle, defeated a, a foreign enemy that was threatening the people of Israel. We talked about this two weeks ago when we talked about Rahab, when through faith, she believed, even though she wasn't a part of God's people, the Israelites, she believed that the Israelite God was the real God and that she wanted to be a part of whatever this real God was doing. And so she protected uh, some of the Israelites and she invited them into her home and she, she hid them and protected them. And through that, God saved her and her family. Sometimes God does a supernatural miracle and sometimes God just works through providence through natural activities, that he guides the, the outcome of our activities to bring about his desired result. The last two weeks, we've talked about how God uses providence and just natural activities. Today, we're going to take a look at a story where God does something supernatural. And this is one of those instances where explicit names aren't given, but we can sort of read between the lines and here, in one of the instances of great faith that's set up as an example for us, through which God works, here in verse 34, it says, and God quenched the power of the fire. Now, that's an easy statement to read right over. But if you are familiar with some of the Old Testament stories, the stories that come from the Old Testament, the part of the Bible that was written before Jesus, 
this may ring a bell, and it brings us to a story that comes out of Daniel chapter 3. Now, this may be harder for some of you to find in the Bible. Some of you may be able to find it really quickly, but uh, if you've got your phones or your tablets out, I'd encourage you to use that in the Bible app to go to Daniel chapter 3. And we're going to skip around a little bit. We're not going to read the entire story. We'll kind of hit the highlights and just allow it to speak to us, allow it to, to challenge us a little bit when we talk about faith. And then we'll come back and actually land in Hebrews chapter 11 again as we close out this morning. And so um, the story begins with um, the Israelites in captivity in Babylon. Now, some of you may be familiar with ancient history, and some of you this may be very foreign and, and new to you, but um, last week we talked about Gideon. If you were here last week, we talked about Gideon. And Gideon lived in a time where um, the, the people of Israel had a really hard time following God, had a really hard time honoring God as God. What Actually, the Bible tells us over and over and over that they kept doing, quote, what was right in their own eyes, that they failed to acknowledge God as God and just try to live life on their own. And every time that would happen, God would come and say, hey, this is a bad idea. You should probably live the way I've asked you to live because when you do that, I've given you some promises that I'll protect you, that I'll guide you, that I'll lead you, that I'll make you a great nation. But I've also made this promise that if you fail to follow me, there will be consequences. And oftentimes those consequences were foreign armies coming and causing problems. That was at the center of our story last week when we talked about Gideon. Well, eventually things get so bad that rather than God raising up a leader uh, to fight off these foreign enemies, God eventually just lets the Israelites experience the full weight of their, the consequences for their actions. And eventually in, uh, in the 8th century B.C., an ancient empire known as Assyria, you may have heard of them before, came and they conquered half of the Israelite nation. And in the 6th century BC, uh, an empire, the Babylonian empire, you probably have heard of them, came and conquered the second half. And most everyone who lived in this land that God had promised his people were either killed, displaced, or taken as slaves back to Babylon. That's the setting of our story today. Jerusalem has been destroyed. The temple has been destroyed. Almost everyone's home in the land of Palestine, Israel, as we would know it today, almost all of their homes have been destroyed. Those who haven't been killed, most of them have been taken as slaves to be slaves in Babylon. And what we find in Daniel chapter 3 is that there is a king over Babylon named Nebuchadnezzar. And this king is very self-centered, as many kings have a tendency to be. And he builds this great altar, this great statue, and commands everyone in the kingdom to bow down and worship at any time they hear music playing. But there are some who, despite their situation, refuse to give up their faith in God. And they know that bowing down and worshiping someone else is against what God had asked of his people. And so when the music would play, there were some individuals, three particular, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who refused to bow down and worship at this altar or this idol. 
and the king of Babylon is infuriated. And so that's where we pick up the story. Nebuchadnezzar, this is the king of Babylon, answered and said to them, this is the three individuals who failed to bow down and worship his statue. Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? Now, if you are ready, when you hear the sound of the horn and the pipe and the lyre and the trigon and the harp and the bagpipe and every kind of music to fall down and worship the image that I have made, well, and good. But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? And this is how they respond. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace. And he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Well, you can imagine, if you don't already know this story, where this story is headed. The king of Babylon isn't going to be challenged publicly like this. And so he orders these individuals to be thrown into the fire, to be burned alive, and in his anger, actually orders that the furnace be cranked up even hotter than normal, just to match his own anger. And at his command, these three individuals are thrown into the fire. And if you don't know the story, if you haven't heard this before, then this is what happens. Verse 24, we've skipped ahead just a little bit. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and rose up in haste. He declared to his counselors, did we not cast three men bound into the fire? They answered and said to the king, true, O king. And he answered and said, but I see four men unbound and walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt. And the parents of the fourth is like a son of the gods. It's at this site that Nebuchadnezzar orders these individuals to be taken out of the fire. He calls out to them. Because of what he had seen, he realized that the God that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had served and faithfully served was greater than he as king and was greater than any of the gods in Babylon. And at that moment, he made a new declaration that there was a new God that should be honored. Now, if you know much of the story, you know that Nebuchadnezzar doesn't stay a good guy for long. But it's at least in this moment that he sees God working in and through the faith of these three individuals that he's amazed at this God that they serve and their faith in him. Now here's what I want to do. I want us to go back to Hebrews chapter 11 because I want to point out a few things that that maybe we might have missed, but I also want us to ask a couple questions that I think are probably questions we all wrestle with when it comes to faith. And I don't know if you caught it, but there was a sudden shift as we were reading through Hebrews chapter 11 today, when we got to verse 35. There was a sudden shift where the mood of the individuals who exemplified great faith, 
things change drastically for them. And I want to highlight and point out this change. So we're going to go back to Hebrews chapter 11. So you can follow back with us there if you would like. I'm not going to read the whole thing again. I just want to highlight a few things. And one of these is that the writer of Hebrews highlights some individuals that by and through their faith, God chose to act and they escaped the edge of the sword. Now, that feels pretty normal, right? Because that's kind of in line with all the stories we've read so far in this series where we've seen where something terrible was about to happen and then in and through someone's faith, God intervened and did something very unexpected, something very drastic. But I don't know if you caught the sudden shift in verse 35 because it didn't always go well for all of these individuals. I'll just start halfway through verse 35. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. So some by and through their faith, they escaped the sword. But some by their faith, and through their faith, were killed with the sword. Now, how do we reconcile that? Now, here's the reality. There are some terrible messages out there about faith. I'm sure well-meaning people have probably said some of them to you. You might have heard a preacher on TV say something that goes along the lines of this. If you have enough faith, then X, Y, and Z won't happen to you. If you have enough faith, then you can guarantee A, B, and C does happen to you. You'll be healthy, you'll be happy, you'll be wealthy. If those things are not true for you, then it's because you don't have faith or you don't have enough faith. Some of you have been told that by well-meaning people. Some of you have been told that by people who you genuinely like and who love you. You may heard, have heard this in a number of different formats, but it's this idea that faith can guarantee the results that we're after. But I want you to notice what is said at the end of chapter 11. And all these, though commended through their faith, every individual listed is being commended by God for their faith. Even those who died by the sword. So if anyone ever tries to tell you, well, if you want this, you just have to have more faith. Or if you don't have this, it's because you don't have enough faith. This is the text you point them to. 
Because these are individuals who have been set up as an example for us. It's their faith and their life that have been set up for us to to model, to emulate, to follow in our lives. And these were the individuals who were commended for their faith by God. Point them to this text. Or you could point someone who would say that kind of thing to Jesus. Last I checked, Jesus' faith didn't, didn't exempt him from suffering. Or point them to the disciples, all of whom suffered for their faith, suffered for the opportunity to advance the ministry and the message that Jesus had left them with. Let me tell you, any definition of faith that we might come up with, if it's not broad enough to include Jesus and the disciples in it, it's probably a bad definition of faith. These were commended for their faith. So you might ask, and rightly so, if my faith uh, isn't the ultimate deciding factor of whether or not I suffer in life, then what's the point? I mean, what's the point of faith? Right? Like if faith doesn't guarantee freedom from suffering, what's the point? And this is what the writer of Hebrews would say. Because God had something better. Because God had set aside something better than just an easy life. Because God had set aside something better than just the removal of pain. Because faith points us to something better. You might also ask, if my faith isn't what guarantees the removal of suffering, if I can't judge the strength of my faith based upon whether or not I'm suffering, or if I can't understand how good or strong or right my faith is based on my circumstances, how could I ever know if I have the right kind of faith? How could I ever know if I have strong faith, if I can't even look to my life circumstances to determine whether or not it's strong. And here's a picture of the exemplary faith that we're given. This is their response to King Nebuchadnezzar. They say, we don't have any need to answer you, king, because you are not the one we answer to. But our God is able. Life can threaten whatever it wants at you, but our God is able. And then they said, and he will. The God I have faith in is able and he will. And then I think this is the key. But even if he doesn't, 
but even if he doesn't. This is the picture of the kind of faith that God wants to build in us. It's not some magic code that we get to use to manipulate God to do whatever we want. It's about turning our eyes to something better. It's about a conviction and assurance that our God is able, that our God will, but even if he doesn't. And there are songs that we sing that represent this reality. The song that some of you may be familiar with, It Is Well. When peace like a river attendeth my soul. And when sorrows like sea billows roll. Whatever my lot I will choose to say it is well with my soul. Whether it's peace or whether it's sorrow. My God is able, my God will, but even if he doesn't. Even if he doesn't. My worship, my eyes, my life are turned to him. Maybe another song you're familiar with. Blessed be your name. Some of the words that we say when we sing songs like this. Blessed be your name in the land that is plentiful, where your streams of abundance flow. Right? That's where we want to be. But then we sing, blessed be your name when I'm found in the desert place. Though I walk through the wilderness. We sing, blessed be your name when the sun's shining down on me. When the world's all as it should be. But we also sing, blessed be your name on the road marked with suffering. Though there's pain in the offering. Blessed be your name. We sang a song this morning and I don't even know if you were catching the power of the words that we sang when we we sang the song cornerstone that he is lord we sang these words when darkness seems to hide his face in every high and stormy gale through the storm he is lord it's the heart that we have to sing to celebrate, to rejoice that our God is able, our God will, but even if he doesn't. That's faith. It's the kind of faith that moves mountains. It's the kind of faith that God commends. It's the kind of faith that these stories are meant to inspire and instill and grow in us. We talked about that, the ways in which God works in and through faith earlier. 
We said this, sometimes God works in and through faith by doing supernatural miracles where he steps in and he breaks the laws of common sense and nature to do what no one else could do. Sometimes God works in and through faith in providence, in just natural activities. That we're participating in the moment and God is helping to guide and direct and determine the outcome. And then sometimes God works through faith to turn our eyes to something better. To say he is able. To declare with confidence and faith that he will. But even if he doesn't. That's why we did this series. That's why we've looked at these stories. To see examples of very imperfect people. These people are not superhuman. They're not superheroes, super saints. While God did some amazing things in and through them, they made some terrible mistakes with their life. But they had a faith that could say, my God is able, my God will, but even if he doesn't, I will turn my eyes to him. My worship will be solely devoted to him. With everything in my life, I will follow him. It's the kind of faith that God commends. It's the kind of faith that he wants to build in us. That no matter what our life circumstances look like, we can hold our head up high with assurance and confidence and no matter what the outcome, we can worship. Will you pray with me? Lord Jesus, thank you for our time together this morning. As we just look at stories in which you showed up, and we've, we've talked about so many incredible stories where you showed up in supernatural, miraculous ways. that you saved Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego from the fire. That you did in individuals' lives what could never be done or accomplished by human hands. Lord, we celebrate your power, your might, But God, let us not forget that sometimes you work in and through our faith, not by removing the painful circumstances, but by securing our eyes on you. That through it all, our eyes would be on you. I'm going to ask you to keep your eyes closed for just a minute as we're going to enter into a time of response, a time to reflect on what God has spoken this morning and to respond appropriately. And today is going to end a little different than we normally end. 
normally we would uh, lead into two songs in, in our response. And then we would close out our service with announcements and some final uh, instructions or things as we exit. But, but today we're going to change that up a little bit. Alyssa came up earlier and, and shared some of our announcements with us ahead of time. And so this is, this is going to lead us into our closing this morning. Kyle and the worship team are going to lead us in singing. And we're going to sing some songs about faith. The kind of faith that we want to have. Whether you would say that's a reality for you right now or not. It's an opportunity for you to respond to who God is. It's, it's an opportunity for you, even though you may not feel it, to declare it. That God's goodness isn't determined by our life circumstances. And that our faith isn't controlled by the outcome. And then as we close those two songs, Kyle will close us in prayer and you'll be dismissed. And what we're going to ask is that uh, this space be left as a space open for prayer and reflection. And so at the conclusion of today's service, we'd invite you to go into the lobby and stay and hang out and talk. But to keep this room quiet as a worshipful atmosphere for those who may want to stay a little longer. And if you need prayer during this time while we're singing or afterwards, there will be some individuals in here available and ready to pray for you. We would love to pray for you. And you're welcome to stand and sing. You're welcome to stay and sit and pray. But we're going to sing songs. Songs that have lines like, there is another in the fire. Because when Nebuchadnezzar looked into the fire, he didn't see three, he saw four. And it was in that moment he knew that God was with those individuals. And we're going to sing and declare that even when it doesn't look like it or feel like it, we're not alone in the fire. That there's another with us. We're going to sing songs like, even if you don't, God, my hope is in you alone. That we believe you are able, that you will, but even if you don't, my hope is in you, not my circumstances, because you're all I need. And so as we close this morning, I ask that you open your heart to whatever God wants to speak, however God wants to move, that you allow him to encourage you and to challenge you to build and to grow faith in you as you respond to who he is to his goodness, to the faith that he's building in you right now. Lord Jesus, thank you. Would you move? Would you speak? Would you do what only you can do in this place and in this moment as we respond to who you are and all that you're doing in our hearts?